and we take that to churches touching lives for Christ. They tell us right now, TBC supplies about 12 days worth of groceries every month for them. So it's a real blessing as a large congregation that we can minister to others in our community. And it's a small way we can do it. Just stick a bag or two of groceries on the back of your car. Our youth will pick it up. If you look in the bulletin, there are numerous events coming up. If you're a college student, if you are engaged, newly engaged, considering marriage as a class for you, there's also a class on finances that begins soon. Take a look in the bulletin. New men's Bible study on Thursday morning, a lot of other opportunities. I mentioned all the countries that we have folks in right now, and uh, God has blessed us in a number of ways. One of the ways he's blessed us is great leadership in the area of global outreach, and that's uh, our missions pastor, Chase Bowers, and we're grateful for Chase. He's going to preach. I've been traveling all this week, and uh, Chase got angels and demons, so I get to choose who gets to do what, so that's why I gave that to him. So uh, would you welcome Chase Bowers to the pulpit this evening? Thank you, Gary. Not a lot of folks know there's a story of when Gary was baptizing his son Daniel. He raised him up out of the water and looked down and said, Son, there was a demon really battling with you under the water. He said, I know, Dad. I was about to bite his hand if he didn't let me up. (laughs) We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and then Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to mark Ephesians 6 and get to Matthew 4. As we look at angels and demons, you know, when it comes to the subject of angels and demons, we really run into murky waters where much is stated, but frankly, little is known. What we do know is that God has angels as ministering servants on our behalf to keep us on course, and Satan and his demons would love nothing more than for you and I to end up shipwrecked according to the faith. We want to embrace as we study the subject of angels and demons The idea that it's God's Word, not culture and not even our experience that's our guide. So we'll look in God's Word together. Let's read Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus again said to him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold... Angels came and were ministering to him. Now Ephesians 6, 10-13, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. 
Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your body and we thank you for the opportunity to look in your word. God, we pray that you would give us clarity of thought and that you would give us understanding as we look at the subject of angels and demons very lightly this morning. Could study it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But in these moments, God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and that you would move us to follow your Son as a result of what we see in the Scripture today. In Jesus' name, Amen. All kinds of cultural confusion about angels. We get it from movies, we get it from books, we get it from our own mind. We've got angels in the outfield. There's a book called Angels and Demons. We've got angels in our minds that are little fat, bald guys shooting arrows at people. Cupid, not an angel. One of the greatest misconceptions I hear over and over and over again is that when Aunt Lucy died, she went up to heaven as an angel. Your loved ones in Christ, they go to be with the Lord. They don't go to be an angel. God created them all at one time. Some of them fell when they followed Satan in rebellion. Many remain. Max Lucado says this about angels. He says, angel study is like biblical whale watching. They surface long enough to give us a glimpse and raise a question, but then they disappear before we have a full view. He goes on to say, one thing is certain. Biblical and contemporary portrayals, angels don't match up. Grocery store tabloids present them as Thumbelina fairies with see-through wings. They exist to do us favors. Heaven's versions of bottled genies who find parking places, lost keys, and missing cats. Snap your fingers and poof, they appear, snap again, and they vanish. Not quite a biblical image. Two adjectives capture the greater truth about angels. Many and mighty. They're many and they're mighty. And even though Gary would tell us Les Miles, head coach at LSU, is an angel, he's not. Now Nick Saban, head coach at Alabama, jury's still out on what that guy is. What does the Scripture say about angels and demons? What does the Scripture say about angels and demons? First thing it says about angels, they're spirit beings that God created to serve His purposes and minister to His people. That's just a broad definition. Spirit beings that God created to serve His purposes and minister to His people. Primarily, first and foremost, they're for God. All things, angels included, created by Him and for Him. But then also, they serve us. They serve us. So what are some of the things that the Scripture says about angels? And then we'll look at what the Scripture says about demons. The first thing that the Scripture says about angels' missions is that they're worshipers and they're messengers. They're primarily worshipers, but they're also messengers. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets a vision of the Lord seated on the throne, lofty and exalted. And there are these amazing beings surrounding the throne and worshiping Him. Powerful beings such that their voices shake the threshold of the temple. These angelic beings, though, have six wings. And in the presence of Almighty God, with two they cover their face, and with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly, and they cry out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
All things are created by Him and for Him. Angels alike are for His glory. Primarily, they're worshipers. They're worshipers, but they're also messengers. Sometimes we read in the Scripture when God wanted to deliver an important message, He would send an angel or angels. When the children of Israel about to cross in to the promised land, the captain of heaven's armies, an angel sent to Joshua. When Mary realizes she's with child, it's an angel, Gabriel, that gives her the message. And then when the baby is born, angels are sent to give glory to God and the highest, to those shepherds on the hills. And then when the women went to the tomb, there were men dressed in white robes, shining brightly, angels there to say, why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? He is risen. Sometimes when God in the Scripture had an important message to deliver, He sent angels, their worshipers and their messengers. Angels also do battle against demonic forces. There is this reality. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. And angels do battle against demonic forces on behalf of God's people. Angels are also agents of God's judgment. They're agents of God's judgment. Gary spoke a couple of weeks ago on God's wrath. And when we read in Revelation 16 about the wrath of God that's coming there, it's angels that pour out bowls of God's wrath. They're agents of God's judgment. Sometimes angels intervene in Human affairs. They intervene in human affairs. We read about Balaam who's riding a donkey in disobedience and there's an angel in the way. There's an angel in the way. Again, we read about this pregnant virgin and an angel comes and explains what has happened and what is going to happen. Sometimes they intervene in human affairs and then sometimes... They serve those who inherit salvation. This great, great passage in Hebrews chapter 1 that speaks about the supremacy of Christ. The final declaration of that chapter is that Christ is supreme even above the angels. And it says they are ministering servants sent for the sake of those who inherit salvation. What an amazing statement of God's love for us. Not only did He send His Son, He sent these servants to minister to those of us who will inherit salvation. And then sometimes, angels give protection to God's people. Sometimes, they give protection to God's people. Amazing story about that. John Patton accepted immense challenge. John Patton was a young Bible college graduate in London. And he accepted a call to go to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific to minister, to take the gospel to a tribe of cannibals. Now, you got to think about the prospect of going to cannibals. Maybe John Patton would have said something like this, maybe my gifts aren't fit for this, God. Maybe a Bible college dropout ought to go. After, After all, I've graduated. Maybe he would taste a little better to these cannibals. That's not what he said. John Patton didn't shrink back, but instead he went. He took his wife and they began to minister based out of a little hut on a beachfront to these cannibals among the New Hebrides Islands. And God kept them safe. They were not attacked. There's this amazing story of one of the chiefs of the tribe. After he converted to Christ, years later, he came to John Patton and said, Can I ask you a question? He said, Sure. He said, Who was the army? 
that was outside your hut every night. We'd go to attack, but they were there protecting you. And John Patton didn't have an answer. Perhaps, perhaps angelic beings, they're protecting him. Sometimes they protect God's people. The story continues, though. John Patton's wife and child died of disease, and he had to sleep on their graves to keep the cannibals who had not converted from taking their bones. He suffered well. He had seen God's protection over him. Sometimes they protect God's people. A couple of areas of instruction when it comes to angels. A couple of areas of instruction. The first is do not be afraid. Over and over and over in the Scripture, when you read about angelic encounters, the angel has to say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You may read in our culture about stories of people having these amazing encounters with angels, and it was so happy, and it was so wonderful, and there was nothing to fear. And the Scripture says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. We've got to be careful what we read, careful what we think about. I found one encounter in the Scripture where the angel didn't have to tell a guy not to be afraid, and that's when Joshua sees the captain of the heaven's armies, and he looks at him and he says, Are you for us or against us? He's not cowering back in fear. A lot of people don't know Joshua is actually the first Texan Hebrew. He was not afraid. Other than that, you look in the Scripture... And the angels say, do not be afraid. The next thing, and this is kind of a strange thing, that this would be instruction when it comes to dealing with angels, and that's to treat strangers well. Treat strangers well. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. There's a story of a poor traveler who goes to a monastery And he's amazed at how he's greeted and treated. They welcome him in, serve him a lavish meal. They take his rags of clothes, give him a brand new set of clothes, send him on on his way with help. And as he's leaving, he comments to the abbot about how kindly he's been treated. The abbot says, we treat all of our guests like angels, just to be on the safe side. It's interesting when you think about maybe the interaction you have with a stranger at a gas station, a waiter, a waitress at a restaurant. Someone comes into your business. We never know who it is in front of us. Treat strangers well. Treat strangers well. Why in the world would that be our instruction? And maybe it's because at the very moment we cease to love our neighbor. That might be where the demonic gets a foothold. We've talked about angels. Let's talk about demons. If angels are spirit beings that God created to serve His purposes and minister to His people, then demons are the group of angels who followed Satan in his rebellion, who seek to rob God of glory and keep His people from being fully devoted followers of Christ. There are two extremes. There are two extremes that we can come to when it comes to Angels and demons. And one is just to act like they don't exist. One is just to act like they don't exist. The other is to cower in fear or be overly obsessed. The Scripture tells us Satan can tempt, but he can't coerce. He can accuse, but not convict. He can accost, but he cannot destroy those who put on the whole armor of God and walk according to the Spirit. You know, I'll tell you, I'm one of those people who was probably a little more on the skeptical side. I would hear stories, I would read things and think, yeah, that probably happened, but what exactly, how do you 
explain that. And in 2008, I went with one of our missionaries. I can't say his name because of where he serves, but I can tell you that I and Keith Talley were with him, and we went to uh, a place where a lot of Muslims live. And this place, in fact, is what we call an unengaged area. We were visiting ten people groups without the presence of a Christian witness. Not just not a church there, not known believers there. And part of what we were doing there was these guys were taking photographs. I was doing some interviews. We were surveying for a mission organization that wanted to take the gospel to these places. And by the grace of God, I can tell you today that eight of those ten groups now have Christian ministers serving among the people, trying to plant churches. That's great news. But part of what we found out as we were there is there's kind of a mix of folk religion and Islam. And in this folk religion, kind of the magic man or witch, witch doctor is called the Dukun. And so I was talking to a guy about the Dukun, and I said, what, why do you give this guy authority? Why are you afraid of him? And he, he pulled out a little bag he had on his motorcycle, and he said, he just gave me this blessing, some herbs for my new house. This will keep evil spirits from my house. And I, I said, again, but why do you give him authority? Why do you trust him? Why do you believe he can protect you from evil spirits? And we're standing along the side of a road, and we're in a, near a forest, and in this forest around us there are durian trees. Now, if you've never had durian, please continue to avoid it. It's the worst fruit in the world. It's, it's kind of a mustard color, um, really mushy and yucky. And it kind of tastes like something else that's a mustard color and really mushy and yucky. Just awful. They're five to ten pound fruits. They look like a pineapple on steroids. And, and they've got spikes on the end of them. Sounds all the more appealing. Over a hundred people a year are killed in the world from falling durian. So we're standing here in this forest and this guy says, Behind every tree and stone there's a spirit. And the Dukun protects us from them. And when he said it, we hadn't had a durian fall near us the whole trip, didn't have it after that, but for the next minute, 40 or 50 began to fall and bounce on the pavement and bounce on the ground around us. Behind every tree, behind every stone, there's a spirit. And the missionary continued to talk to this gentleman and Keith and I stepped back and began to pray. And in about a moment, or about a minute, it stopped just as quickly as it started. Now, I've got to tell you, that day, some of my skepticism was erased. There are supernatural forces bent on shipwrecking us. And we don't need to be overly obsessed, but we don't need to act like they don't exist either. This group of angels who followed Satan in his rebellion, they seek to rob God of glory and keep us from being fully devoted followers of Christ. Sometimes they're called unclean spirits, Sometimes fallen angels, sometimes powers, authorities, principalities. Satan is called Belial, Beelzebub, Lucifer, the God of this age. Well, what is their mission? Their mission is to work indirectly and directly against God's people so as to hinder them from being all that God has created us to be. They want to hinder us from being all that God has created us us to be. They work indirectly and directly. How do they work indirectly? They work indirectly through the world and they work indirectly through our own flesh. They work indirectly through the world and indirectly through our own flesh. 
When Ephesians 2 speaks about our lost condition, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Indirectly, indirectly, they would attack through the world and even through our own flesh. They tempt us with things that we think will satisfy us. They tempt us with things they think that we think will satisfy us. Now, tomorrow night, my wife comes home. She's been gone for ten days. I've spent the last ten days with my two boys. I can tell you now that my wife is an angel and my two boys are blessings. <laughs> we'll be home a week, but then next week we leave and go to a camp that I've preached a few times. We'll be back there. My family gets to go with me, and I love to go and be with these teenagers This particular camp I love, though, because they have a great fishing lake that doesn't get fished a lot, and so we get to go there. We'll catch a lot of fish. We'll have a great time. So my son's excited about it. I'm excited about it. My daughter's excited about it. One of the things you need to know, though, is that when we go fishing, I'm not going to take a hook and put a brand new car on it and cast it out into the lake. I'm not going to take the hook and put a $500 pair of shoes on it and cast it out into the lake. I'm not going to take the hook and put a guy who treats a woman a little bit better than her husband does and cast it out into the lake. I'm not going to take the hook and put a good-looking secretary and cast it out into the lake. Because that's not what fish like. I got on eBay and I ordered some plastic worms. They look just like live worms. They're impregnated with salt and bass attractant. I've used them before and they work well. I'll cast it out. I'll wait until the bass has just what it thinks will satisfy in his mouth. And then I'll set the hook. See, he attacks through our own flesh. Each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. And temptation gives birth to sin. And sin, when it sets the hook, gives birth to death. He attacks us indirectly through the world and even through our own flesh, but then there's also demonic attack that comes directly. It comes directly through deception primarily, I believe, but a couple of other ways. One is through condemnation and through self-exaltation. One is through condemnation. The other is through self-exaltation. Sometimes... You might hear people say, the enemy's attacking me. He's telling me I'm not good enough. He's telling me I'm really not a believer. He's telling me this or he's telling me that. And sometimes that's the way he works. And we need to know that we fight that attack with Scripture. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One guy said to me one time, the enemy's attacking me. He's telling me I'm ugly. I said, brother, I don't know if that's the enemy. I don't know if that's the enemy. See, sometimes though, sometimes they attack us through self-exaltation. The reality is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And demons hate you and they offer a wonderful plan for your life. I've never heard anybody say to me, you know, Chase, I think the enemy's attacking me. He told me I'm really good looking and ought to go buy ten new outfits, though my closet's full. You know, Chase, the enemy's attacking me. The enemy's attacking me. 
He's told me that though I've got millions in the bank, I really don't need to give any more away. I just need to hang on to this cash. I know the enemy's attacking me. The enemy's attacking me. He's saying, he's saying, don't surrender. Don't be in community. Don't be on mission. See, he's subtle. He masquerades as an angel of light. He knows what we like and he attacks through condemnation, but he also attacks through self-exaltation. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we're not deceived. We've got to have on the armor of God if we're going to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. One of the ways that he works is through temptation. One of the ways that he works is through possession and oppression. Through possession and oppression. Now hear me church, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You cannot be possessed by a demon. However, you can be oppressed. You can be deceived. You can be pressed down. It's a hard thing to know when that's happening or how that's happening. I'll tell you this, if you feel like you're dealing with demonic forces as a believer or an unbeliever, I'd encourage you, talk to one of us as staff members, talk to one of our elders. We'd love to encourage you, we'd love to help you. Don't play around with the demonic as a light thing. One of the ways that he works is through possession and through oppression. Probably the greatest way, though, is through deception. The Scripture tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And one of the greatest ways is through deception. Now, there are things that we look at, there are things that we look at, and we say, oh, that's demonic. But then when we back up, the source might not seem such a great thing. I'll give you an example. My wife and daughter are headed home from Rwanda right now. A month ago, I was there with Danny Cunningham and Rob Zier working with Alarm, and as we went to visit one of the sites where they're doing ministry, we stopped at what used to be a Catholic church and is now a memorial from the Rwandan genocide. Some of the memorials look like museums. This looked more like a crime scene. As we went in the church, there were clothes from hundreds of people laying on the floor where they had died. There were holes in the floor. There were holes in the walls. There were holes in the roof from the grenades that had been thrown in on these people who had come to this church because they thought there they would be safe. And then we walked out back and went down a little corridor and stacked neatly one next to another. And one of the most eerie things I've ever seen were the skulls of tens of thousands of people killed in the genocide. Now we look at that. We look at that and we say, oh, that, that's demonic. That's demonic. But let me tell you, that didn't start with a group of people waking up one day and saying, hey, let's go kill 10,000 people. You know how that started? That started with, I, I don't like those people. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. And they don't like me either. Maybe even, they've got it better off than me. Or maybe, maybe one group had harmed the other, but it starts with, I don't like those people. I don't like those people. Now, of course, that could never happen here. Easy to look at sensuality and consumerism and say, you know, there might be demonic forces there, but not so easy when we hear that 
that deception, you know, I wish my husband treated me the way he does. You know, my, my wife used to look like she does. See, the deception, it's hard to recognize, especially in a culture that's so material and doesn't think about the supernatural. We had a guy from Uganda come and visit our staff several years ago, and one of the guys said, you guys deal with the demonic so much more than we do. Why do you think it is that we don't? And he just kind of looked dumbfounded, and he said, you know, children everywhere in your country wear skulls on their clothes. That's a symbol of death. You don't think that's a demonic influence? And he said, and women in your culture, honestly, they show parts of their body that only their dad and their husbands were meant to see. You don't think that's demonic? Surely, that would never happen here. See, he's masquerading as an angel of light and sometimes saying, I've got a wonderful plan for you, just like he did to Jesus. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I mean, you're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. Turn these stones to bread. He quoted Scripture to him. The angels will guard you, quoted Psalm 91. Well, how do we fight against the demonic? How do we fight against the demonic? You know, I think the core values that we espouse here at our church are great, not because they're our core values, but because they're in the Scripture. Surrender and community and mission. If you're surrendered to Christ and in community with people and on mission, those are great ways to fight the demonic. I didn't know what my grandma meant when she used to say idle time is the devil's workshop. You know, people on mission are living together in a community, serving and surrendering to Jesus. You're protecting yourself. A couple of real practical ways though are this. Number one, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't make your focus on angels. Don't make your focus on demons. Make the focus of your life on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who began a good work in us, the one who will bring it to completion. Fix your eyes on Him, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to fight against the schemes of the devil? You fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who's sovereign over angels and demons. And then the next thing you do is you embrace the Word of God. You embrace the Word of God. You fill your mind with it, and then you fill your life with it, because we can make no mistake. What we fill our minds with, we will fill our lives with. Don't miss that. What we fill our minds with, we will fill our lives with. How do you fill your mind with Scripture? You meditate and you memorize. You meditate and you memorize. You take the Word of God daily. You think about what it says. You put it in your life. And you live it out. You mobilize it. You meditate and you memorize it. And then you put it in your life through mobilizing it. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of getting on an elevator. He was preaching a conference in a city far from home. And as he got on this elevator, there are two ladies on the elevator. And he quickly realizes he's gotten on an elevator with two prostitutes who are propositioning him to spend the evening with them. And he said, the first thing that came to my mind was not my wife. It was not my children. It was not my church. It was not the seminary. It wasn't my reputation. He said, the first thing that came to mind was Ephesians 6, 7 was Ephesians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
a man reaps what he sows. See, he had meditated on that Scripture. He had memorized that Scripture. And right there, he mobilized it. He lived it out. Fill your mind with the Word of God and you'll fill your life with the Word of God. In closing, do this. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be alert and believe the Word. 1 John 4, 4 tells us in that Word that greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. Be alert and believe the Word. Follow Jesus and fight against the enemy. Let me pray for us that we'll do just that. God, we thank You that though there is a war in the heavenlies, we know that the victory is ours because the victory is Yours. You've been given a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Lord, I pray that that we'd follow Your Son very well, focused on Him, filled up with the Word, that You would guard us, that You would protect us from the enemy, that would shipwreck our faith, that we would be a people who are surrendered to You in community together and on mission for Your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.